tonight, for some of you, this will be, the whole reason you're here is uh, for tonight. I think it could be a very significant night for some of you. We'll make sure that you have ample time in your small groups. We actually have added a, um, a ministry portion at the end of the discussion. So there's a discussion section, and then we'll get up and break uh, and give you some time to pray uh, for uh, for one another. And again, I think this for some of you, the whole reason you are in lead might be for tonight. So I'm just going to jump in real quick and try to speak uh, briefly if I can. Last week, we talked about how God normally guides us. Again, the idea is we want to be a sailboat, not a rowboat, led, not driven. So practically, what does that look like? How does God lead us? Um, how does he guide us? We talked about those five CSs, if you remember, compelling spirit. We said that's God speaking to us, usually through impressions. There are other ways, some more supernatural ways, but usually it's through impressions that we have, thoughts and feelings, commanding scripture, uh, general principles that we all obey, love God, love people, forgive, those types of things. And then other times we get these, what we would call a personal word or personal application. You're reading something in the Bible and it jumps out at you. Council of the Saints, that's God speaking to the body, through the body. So that's the people who love you and love God and God will speak to you through them. If you look at the spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, many of those gifts are words that we speak to one another, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of prophecy, words of uh, revelation. All of those are things that we speak to other people. That's God speaking to others through us. Common sense, that's just wisdom, circumstantial signs, that's the whole open doors, closed doors piece. And then we talked about four hindrances to hearing God. One is a lack of belief. We don't actually believe God speaks. That's rare, I think. The second one is more common, a lack of confidence. God may speak, but he doesn't speak to me, or I can't hear him. And that's a lie. You can. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you'll know his voice. Lack of attentiveness. We're just too busy to actually pay attention to give God any space in our life to speak to us. We talked about just the importance of learning to quiet our minds and quiet our hearts. Initially, that usually means actually physically being in a place that's quiet without a lot of distractions. And then in time, as you get better at it, you can quiet your heart even in the midst of your day. And then a lack of responsiveness. Um, God doesn't give us step two until we obey step one. And so for some of us, there's something God's told us to do. And we, ha- we haven't obeyed yet. And we're the reason you're not getting any more information is because you haven't done the first thing. So we talked about all of those hindrances. Uh, I, just in summary, I would just say with all of that, We don't want to be snobs when it comes to how God communicates to us. Like you can't be the person who says, well, if it's not an if it's not an angel, then I'm not going to do it. Or I mean, God spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament, and we want to be open to however he uh, chooses to communicate to us. I told you last week, I'm not a big fan of the common sense, circumstantial signs for guiding uh, and directing in life. But I absolutely pay attention to all of those things. Common sense is wisdom and We ask those types of questions. What's the wise thing to do? It doesn't mean we always do what's wise. Revelation trumps wisdom. But that's a a piece, and that's a way God speaks. And none of us want to take a posture that unless God speaks to us in this way, then, then then he's not speaking. That's dictating to him. Those of you who are parents, you can see how that would probably go over if your kids said that to you. And we don't want to take that same posture with the Lord. So we want to be open to all the different ways that he speaks. Tonight, what I want to look at, Four scenarios where God is silent, and I use that in quotes. One of these, God actually is silent. He is not speaking. 
The other three, that's not what's going on, but that's what we perceive on the ground. Because we can't see necessarily what's going on kind of supernaturally or in the spirit world. All we know is our experience, and it feels like God is silent. He's not speaking. We're asking. We're not being led from our perspective. It seems like our prayers are hitting the ceiling. We're not getting any direction. The things that we're doing are not working out. Next week, we'll look at where God leads us, and so some of this bleeds into that. But tonight, we're going to try to focus on these four scenarios when God is quote-unquote silent. First area, first scenario is blatant disobedience. And we'll go ahead and get this one out of the way. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We all know sin blocks our communication uh, to the Lord. And uh, if we're living in what I'm calling blatant disobedience, it's going to be very difficult for you to track with God. You're not going to be led. And the reason is because you're being blatantly disobedient. Um, Easy example. Sometimes I'll have couples come in to talk with me, and they're not married, and they're sleeping together. That's blatant disobedience. The Bible is very clear. Not... Sex is for marriage. That's it. And you have couples who are, have chosen to sleep together, and then they're frustrated because they don't sense God's leading in their relationship. They don't sense his presence in their life. And it's, well, you're, you're disobeying him in this area, and you can't compartmentalize. Our lives, sometimes we think, well, that's, that's just this one area. What about all these others? And that's not how it works. Sin or the disobedience kind of bleeds across everything. And if, if there's something that God has very clearly spoken to us, such as that, and we're disobeying him in that arena, he's not going to speak to us in the others because we're not obeying what he's already told us. Another common area is unforgiveness. We choose not to forgive somebody, and that creates a blockage between us and the Lord. He says very clearly, you have to, for, you have to forgive everyone. It's not an option for us. It doesn't matter what they've done. We have to forgive them. And until we do, that lack of forgiveness can cause us to feel disconnected from the Lord. Now, some of you have very sensitive consciences. And so when you go through a spell where you feel like you're not hearing God, your immediate thing is, I screwed up and he's punishing me. This is the old school guys call this sin with a high hand. This is blatant, willful, intentional, repetitive sin. This is not unknown it's not unintentional it's not even it's not accidental this is i know this is wrong and i don't care i'm doing it anyway you don't need anybody to tell you you know that you're doing these things god desires to lead us and he's not going to refuse to do so based on a technicality so if you're in a, 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 a scenario in your life where you feel like i'm not i'm not connected i'm not hearing the lord he's not leading me the first thing i would say is well are you living in blatant disregard for God's commands are you living in blatant disobedience and you know that the answer is yes or no that's not really a I got to search my heart and figure it out kind of thing again these are this is sin with a high hand if that's where you're at the posture to take is to repent once you repent that removes that blockage and then you're free to connect with the Lord again the second one and this is when God I think actually is silent some people call this a dark night of the soul, uh, it's, or some people call it a desert, a dry time. You go through a, a stretch of your life where you feel like God is not, he's not near. You don't really sense him. My opinion is that every Christian goes through this at least 
once. I went through a long stretch, probably two and a half or three years, um, right between 22 and 25, where this was my, I was in seminary, it had nothing to do with that, but I was in seminary at the time, so I was immersed in all things God, and I felt very distant from him. Usually it's only in one area of your life. A lot of times it's not all the way across the board. It's a particular area of life where you don't really feel like you're getting anything from him. During my experience, I was actually working with a youth group. I had to speak every week, and I had stuff. I had stuff to share every week, and it was usually decent stuff. But when it's actually the the dark night for me, all had to do with the Holy Spirit. And what's What was my relationship with the Holy Spirit at this time? And I wrestled for years. What does it look like to be filled? Have I been filled? How do you walk in the Spirit? What what are all of these things? I I mean, I listened, I prayed, I read, I got other people to pray, I put myself in positions to receive. I did all of these things for two and a half or three years and just felt like nothing. I didn't have any peace in my heart. I wasn't content. Uh, That's not even the right word. I didn't have peace. I was it was unsettled for me, and I couldn't get any clarity from the Lord, really, on where I stood, and then one day, I did, and it it wasn't a watershed moment, I didn't fall on the ground crying, I didn't see an angel, it was just, I had peace in an area where I had not had peace before, and looking, during the stretch, I didn't know what was going on, looking back, this is what it was, it was a dark night for me, it was God saying, can you trust what I've said in my word, even when you're not experiencing it in your life, that's what it was for me, can you believe what I've said is true, If you're a Christian, these things are true. Can you believe these things are true for you, even if you're not experiencing them right now? And it took me two and a half or three years to kind of walk through that. And at some point, the answer was yes. If you're going through that, this is the posture you should take. Follow the last clear word. What you're trying to do is maintain the status quo. You don't necessarily need to change things up in this area where you're not experiencing the Lord because most likely you're going to wind up going off on your own. You're not hearing the Lord, so you don't necessarily want to make major decisions. So follow the last clear word. The last thing you felt like God said, just continue to do those things. First Corinthians 7, when Paul's talking to people who are married and engaged, he says, just stay where you are. You don't need to go changing your life station. And I would say that's in general what I'm saying here. What's the last thing you felt like you heard from the Lord? Then just keep doing that. Obey the general commands of Scripture. It's not a... Just because you're not hearing God doesn't mean that it's not an excuse for disobedience. You want to continue to love people. You want to continue to love God, forgive others, pray. You want to continue to do the things that are very clear in Scripture that we're supposed to do. Uh, Rest. We can't make God talk to us. And so at some point we have to recognize he's a good father and he's going to speak when he's ready. And I can't manipulate him into that. And so I'm just going to trust that he's going to speak to me. I'm going to continue to ask and seek and knock because he says so. But I'm not going to try to push and press and I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm, my part is just to say, God, I need, I, I'm, I need direction in this area. I want to be led. It's up to you to do the leading. All I can do is respond to what you're share, sharing with me. And if you're not sharing anything, then there's not a whole lot I can do. It's not, it's not giving up. It's not resignation. It's rest trusting that he's a good father. And one thing that you can consider, I would say, is fasting. And I say consider it because for some of us, fasting becomes a a tool to manipulate God. Well, I'm not going to eat and show you how spiritual I am in order to get you to answer my prayer in this area. And if that's your motivation, that's not good. We can't manipulate him. However, fasting can, um, it can kind of tune us in 
a little better. When we're not, when we when we make a choice to fast in order to hear God in a particular area of life, again, it's not a we're not manipulating Him, but it can. I don't know how else to say it other than tune us in to His voice, and so that might be something for you to consider doing. But again, only if you feel like you can do it with a good heart. I'm going to read you that this is pretty long. This is an excerpt from um, the Screw Tape Letters. It's a book that C.S. Lewis wrote, and it's between two demons, and they're talking about their patient who is a Christian that one of these demons is attempting to um, tempt and to destroy and all of those kinds of things. And it's about this whole idea of a dark night. Uh, it's, again, it's, it's relatively long, but I think it's, it's pretty, it, it communicates pretty clearly what we're talking about. Humans are, uh, hold on. So you have great hopes that the patient, so that's the Christian's religious phase, is dying away, have you? Has no one ever told you of the law of undulation? Humans are amphibians, half spirit and half animal. The enemy, so that's God. God's determination to produce such a revolting hybrid was one of the things that determined uh, our father, so that's Satan, that determined Satan to withdraw his support from God. As spirits, they belong to the eternal world, but as animals, they inhabit time. This means that while their spirit can be directed to an eternal object, their bodies, passions, and imaginations are in continual change, for to be in time means to change. Their nearest approach to constancy, therefore, is undulation, the, re- the repeated return to a level uh, from which they repeatedly fall back, a series of troughs and peaks. If you had watched your patient carefully, you would have seen this undulation in every department of his life, his interest in work, his affection for his friends, his physical appetites, they all go up and down. As long as he lives on earth, periods of emotional and bodily richness and liveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. The dryness and dullness through which your patient is now going are not, as you fondly suppose, your workmanship. They're merely a natural phenomenon which will do us no good unless you make good use of it. To decide what the best use of it is, you must ask what God wants to make of it and then do the opposite. Now, it may surprise you to learn that in God's effort to get permanent possession of a soul, He relies on the troughs even more than the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. The reason is this. To us, a human is primarily a good. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense. But the obedience which God demands of men is quite a different thing. One must face the fact that all the talk about God's love for men And his service being perfect freedom is not, as one would gladly believe, mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself, creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. We want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in, he wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled, he is full and flows over. Our war aim is a world in which Satan below has drawn all other beings into himself. God wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. And that is where the troughs come in. You must have wondered why God does not make more use of his power to be sensibly or tangibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses and at any moment. But you now see that the irresistible and the indisputable are the two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use. Merely to override a human will, as his felt presence in any but the faintest and most mitigated degree would certainly do, would be useless for him. He can't ravish, he can only woo. 
For his ignoble idea is to eat the cake and have it. The creatures are to be one with him, but yet themselves. Merely to cancel them or assimilate them will not serve. He's prepared to do a little overriding at the beginning. He will set them off with communications of his presence, which though faint seem great to them with emotional sweetness and easy conquest over temptation, but he never allows this state of affairs to last long. Sooner or later he withdraws, if not in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creatures to stand up on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peaks, that this creature is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. We can drag our patients along by continual tempting because we design them only for the table, and the more their will is interfered with, the better. He can't tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. If only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Don't be deceived. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will looks round upon a universe which every trace of God seems to have vanished, asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. So that's kind of the picture for us of a dark night of the soul. It's this stretch where you're not sensing God, you're not hearing him. It can be extraordinarily frustrating when you're in the middle of it. And what he's looking for is, will you keep, will you stick? Are you going to stay when there's no external supports saying you should stay? It's this whole lot, will you believe what I've said even when you're not experiencing? If you're in the middle of that, it can be brutal. And you, you don't know when it, nobody knows when those times end. They end when God says they end. And again, if you, if you find yourself in the middle of that, whether it's for a month or six months or years, it can suck the life out of you in a lot of ways. And what God is looking for from you is hang in there. He's teaching you to walk. He's maturing you from, again, from servant to son. If that's where you are tonight, during the time when we have ministry to one another, please let these guys pray for you and with you. That's not something that you have to struggle with on your own, and you don't need to feel like it's because you've messed up. Again, there's, there's a scenario where our sin gets in the way. That's not this scenario. It's not because God is punishing you at all. If you're living in blatant sin, then you repent. That's on you. None of these other scenarios are on you. It's not a result of the choices you've made or the behaviors. It, it, none of that. It's, it's part of maturing in Christ. And it's fine when you're in one of those times to cry out to the Lord. If you read through Psalms, David experienced it for probably 10 or 12 years of his life when he's on the run in the wilderness and Saul's trying to kill him. He had, he felt forsaken. Look, Joseph, he's thrown in jail and forgotten about for two years. This idea of what, what is going on and where is the Lord in the midst of all of this? And in those times, we, we need to cry out to him, even if we're not feeling his response. And that's one of the times when the body is most needed because they can really, they can encourage you in a way that you're not getting directly from the Lord. He can comfort you through other people, and he will do that if you'll open yourselves up to him. So, second scenario, dark night of the soul. Third scenario, demonic interference. Uh, Daniel 10, Daniel has, Daniel's a prophet, he has a vision about a great war 
And then three weeks, he's waiting for some understanding, and he waits three weeks, and he doesn't get any understanding. He begins to fast, and then uh, this is picking up in verse 12. An angel appears to him and says, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. So this is an angel talking. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. So the prince of the Persian kingdom is some demonic force that seems to rule over the Persian kingdom. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, so Michael is another angel, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So you have this picture of some angel and a demon having some type of fight, and then another angel, Michael, comes in to allow angel A to get to Daniel, if that makes sense. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. So Daniel sees a vision, and God wants to communicate him to him the uh, understanding or the interpretation of, the, of this vision concerning the future. And so he sends an angel to Daniel to explain. This angel is intercepted by this demon, and they fight or something for three weeks. Another angel comes and allows this first angel to get to Daniel and um, communicate to him, and then you can read the rest of Daniel. That interpretation is actually really confusing. I don't know if it was worth the three weeks or not because it's really hard to understand what exactly happens with all of it. But for us, that can happen. I mean, there's we can't see any of that stuff. I don't trust anybody who says they understand what goes on in the kind of in this spiritual warfare arena. What I just read you, that's about the most you're going to get in the Bible. That's about the clearest explanation of any type of spiritual battle. There's some stuff in Revelation, but there's just not a lot there. There's an assumption in the Bible that there's a there's there are angels and there are demons and they fight. And that's about that's what we get and that the angels ultimately win because they're on the side of God. That's what we see in the Bible. And if people start laying out a whole bunch of charts and all of this stuff, they're ma- it's not in here. They're getting it from somewhere, but it's not necessarily in the Bible. So I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and the outs of what does the fighting look like and how did Mike, what did he do? I don't know if there was headlocks involved. I don't know if there were weapons. I don't, I don't know what happens in any of that. All I know is somehow this demon is strong enough to delay an angel, and it requires the intervention of another angel in order for God to speak to Daniel. And all Daniel knows is, for three weeks, I'm not hearing anything, and I don't know why. And it could be for you. And again, I I don't know all the particulars, but that could very well be an issue in your life. It could be that God's trying to communicate, and there's something going on up here that's preventing that from happening. So if Again, you can see the posture that you're supposed to take. It looks exactly like the posture that you take in a dark night of the soul. And the reason is, we don't know the difference. We don't know if God is not speaking to us or if a demon is intercepting the message. We don't know. And so our posture remains the same. I'm I'm not going to do anything until there's some clarity on what to do. I'm going to choose to hang tight until I, I know what direction the Spirit is leading me. And so I'm going to, the last clear thing God said to me, that's what I'm going to do. And 
I'm going to continue to obey the general revelation of Scripture. I'm going to continue to ask and seek and not. And I'm going to trust that God can overcome whatever is out there. Whatever enemies are out there, God, God can overcome those demonic powers. And I'm going to consider fasting as well. That's what Daniel fasted for three weeks. He wasn't fasting for God to overcome a demon. He was fasting because he was desperate to hear the Lord. And so we can do that as well. And then, again, it's, we'll, we'll never know, I don't think, this side of heaven unless an angel appears to you and explains things. We won't know why the answers get hung up. It, I don't know that it matters. What matters for us is what's our posture in the midst of that. And, again, for me, it's I'm going to hang tight until God speaks and I'm going to trust him to speak. He's going to speak when he wants to. And if there's some demonic interference, he can overcome that as well. And so for us, whether it's a dark night of the soul or a demonic, inter- it, it doesn't matter. That actually could be a place where someone from the outside might be able to help you a little bit. They might be able to shed some light uh, on your situation if you're willing to share with them. And the last one, I think this is pretty common, is when others thwart um, and I use that in quotes, when others, either that circumstances or people, seem to thwart what God's trying to do in our life. Joseph's the best example. He has a dream. You're going to rule over your brothers. You're going to rule over your mom and dad. And what happens? Sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, thrown in jail, forgotten about. Ten years or so of anything but being elevated to a position of authority. And for some of you, this is, this is where you are. Like, you're totally living a Joseph experience. You feel like God has spoken to you, uh, that there's a certain direction you need to move in, and people slash circumstances are pulling you in another direction. And if that's where you are, the posture is actually different than it is in those other couple of cases. You want to be where you are. That's a Jim Elliott. Wherever you are, be all there. So it's a, you want to cultivate faithfulness. Wherever you are. That's what God said in Jeremiah 29. They're exiled in Babylon. And he says, live there. Marry, build houses, plant gardens. That's where you are. So you need to live where you are. Joseph, when he's in Potiphar's house, he does very well. He winds up running the show. He doesn't pout. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't say, this is beneath me. He, he runs the house. Then he gets thrown in jail. Same thing. He winds up running the jail. Wherever he is, he fully gives himself to being there. So you want to be where you are and you want to avoid bitterness. Bitterness is a killer. The Bible is very clear. You don't want the root of bitterness to grow in your heart. And it's easy when things don't seem to be working out to get bitter towards other people, towards life, or towards God. I was talking to a guy today and he said, life hasn't treated me fair. That's bitter. If you're a victim at that level, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's nowhere to go but down if your understanding is life has not treated me fair. And your boss might not be treating you fair, but getting bitter is not going to help at all. It doesn't do Joseph any good to get upset with Potiphar for throwing him in jail. It's not, that doesn't change Joseph's circumstances. It just ruins his heart and makes it harder for God to work in him and through him. And so for, we need, that's, that can be difficult if you feel like you're being delayed or detoured long term to avoid bitterness. Don't take matters in your own hands. It's an Abraham Ishmael. I'm 75 and God gives me a promise. I'm 86. It hasn't been fulfilled. We'd all agree 11 years is a long time. So let, let's do this. Let's, here's Hagar and we're going we're gonna to make things happen 
that way. Huge mistake. Took matters into his own hands. And that's, for some of us, that's an easy thing for us to do. We're competent. We're smart. We get things done. Those kinds of people, it can be easy when you feel like you're not moving in the direction that God wants you to go. It's easy to start finessing things to get there. Don't, you don't want to do that. You wind up with, you wind up with Ishmael's and not with Isaac's. Uh, this is what Joseph says in Genesis 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. If we'll, if we'll do these things, if we'll remain faithful, hopeful, trusting, not taking matters into our own hands, he'll get us there. If you think about it, there's no way to go from being a son of a shepherd in Palestine to being the second in command in Egypt. You can't make... You can't apply for that job. And the only way to get from here to here is first to get into the country. So I'm going to sell you into slavery to get you in the country and then to somehow get in Pharaoh's house. And it just so happens the way to get into Pharaoh's house is to go into his jail and to meet two other guys who happen to be in his court so that when the time comes, one of them can remember you and then you can be elevated at the proper time. It's easy for us. We read the whole story in five minutes. It was 11 years, 13 years, something like that of Joseph's life. Difficult when you're in the midst of that, when you feel like all of the circumstances are aligned and arrayed against you. But if that's where you feel like you are, my encouragement, again, is to share uh, with the folks at your table and allow them to encourage you and to pray with you and to pray for you. God God can move the pieces. Um, he, can, he can change the chessboard. And we just want to trust him to do that. So, four scenarios... Blatant disobedience, that's an easy one. You know if you're doing that. If you don't know, then you're not doing it. Plain and simple. If you, if you, if, that's, that's, a, that's an easy one. Dark night of the soul, it's God. He's pulled back from you. Um, demonic interference, we don't know about that. So we just take the same posture we do with the dark night of the soul. We, continue, we just maintain the status quo and trust God to break in. Or this Joseph scenario. People and circumstances are pulling me away from the direction that I feel God is leading me. And if that's where you are, maintain faithfulness, maintain hope, and don't take matters into your own hands. I'm going to pray. We'll have some discussion questions, and I'll come up in probably uh, 20 minutes, and we'll move you all into um, a time of ministry. God, we do thank you that you do lead us, and it is absolutely frustrating when we feel like you're not. We want to be led, and when for whatever reason we're not, it sucks the life out of us. And so, God, my prayer for any here tonight who maybe feel hopeless, who feel dry, uh, maybe people who feel are, are wounded from the past, where they, they waited and you didn't say anything, and so they just took off. God, my prayer is that tonight would be a time of healing, a time of refilling, a time of hope being restored, that from ashes you would bring beauty. You say you restore the years the locusts have eaten. And if any would say, the locusts have been devouring in this area of my life. God, I pray for courage and vulnerability to share. And I pray that through your people that you would bring encouragement and renewal. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey.